I'm going to open us with prayer as we teach the second part of chapter one in Philippians. Uh, So will you bow our heads as I open us in prayer? Father God, thank you that you have communicated your love to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and also through the letters in the New Testament. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to be transformed, and hands to apply what we learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Kids typically look up their dad and see a hero. Uh, They're not yet aware of our limitations. I remember growing up, uh, my dad, Kevin, uh, still as a hero now, Uh, but I'm more aware that he doesn't have superhero powers. Up to about the age of 12, that was when I beat him wrestling, uh, I thought he was just everything. He's the most intelligent person, the most handsome person, incredibly powerful. And I look back with 20-20 hindsight and think, wow, he probably wasn't all that. I used to kind of offer him, uh, he didn't know this, But if someone was attacking me or bullying me, I would always say, just wait till my dad gets you. Uh, They would typically reply, well, my dad's going to get your dad. And I'll go, well, my dad's bigger than your dad. And I'd regularly use his name to invoke fear into my enemies. I look back and I'm deeply grateful that my dad never met uh, angry parents of other kids. Uh, He probably isn't as big an alpha male as I thought. Now, in America, I know that men who like to be alpha males or pretend they're alpha males, they love the woods. Now, woods, men like it every nation all over. They love woods. It's like the antidote to the office. Now, American men go into the woods typically to hunt. They love to uh, go out, kill animals. They love to camouflage themselves. They love to eat jerky. They love to paint their face all different disguises. Who wouldn't want to do that? And to complete the disguise, they spray themselves with deer urine. Who wouldn't want to do that? Uh, My dad goes to the woods genuinely on a very regular basis every spring. He's not there to hunt animals. Uh, He actually goes to find dormice. Uh, A dormice is a very small, uh, rare mouse in England that's under threat. And so my dad, every year, uh, will go out in the woods on his hands and knees looking for dormice. And when he finds one, he sends me a text picture of the first dormouse of the year. He, go, he finds them. He tags them. I don't even know what size the tag is. He checks their gender. I don't know how that works either. Uh, and then he stores his data and releases them. So I had this view of my dad that he was this all-powerful man, and now I look back and think, he's pretty, pretty eccentric. Uh, I am glad he uh, never had to fight anyone. Now, I want us today to leave this message knowing that your heavenly Father is a whole lot bigger than you imagine that your view of him even now is nothing compared to how powerful and how mighty he really is. That you could face down the devil himself and say, do you have any idea who my father is? And I want us to understand that today. We're going to do that as we look at chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 12 to 30. 
Uh, I'm asked Sienna, my daughter, to come up and read. If anyone wants to read on stage, please let me know. This is your church. Nothing gives me more joy than watching people use the gifts that God have, has given them. The Bible is not just for the pastor. It's for everyone, no matter what generation you are. So, Sienna, I have kept the stands low for you. Over to you. You can follow along in your Bible apps or your Bible, Philippians 1, 12 to 30. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and so all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Thank you. Wow. Uh, in the midst of Sienna reading from that scripture, notice that we use the English Standard Version, uh, because we can. Uh, Sienna was speaking, and in the midst of Paul's message, is a message that nothing can stop the gospel from advancing. Paul's imprisonment cannot, whether people preach it out of impure motives, it cannot stop the gospel advancing. Whether he lives or he dies, the gospel will advance, and Christ will be honored. Now, given that this text is all about the gospel, given that the book of Philippians is all about the gospel, I thought I would just give a quick description of what the gospel is. So the gospel literally means good news. See how easy that was? You can volunteer afterwards. Uh, if you could explain the, the gospel in one scripture, you'd thank Tim Tebow. It's John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now in the book of Acts, as the early church grew, you'll see different presentations of the gospel. 
But the essence of every gospel presentation is God hates evil and he loves man. And he proves both by taking the full punishment our sins deserved through Jesus Christ. And you'll see lots of those. There are different gospel tracts in this day and age uh, that are disseminated everywhere. I recommend them as a useful way through uh, scripture and drawings to represent what the gospel is. One that I found recently I really like. So I'm going to explain the gospel through the three, two, one presentation. I like it because it's simple and it also uh, explains who God is through the Trinity. So here it is. Life according to Jesus in three, two, one. Three, God. God is a loving union of three. Jesus is our picture of God. The Bible describes Jesus as the image of God, the word of God, the exact representation of God. To know God, we should look at Jesus and see a loving union of three. The image from Matthew 3, 13 to 17, it's a picture of Jesus' baptism. Jesus is standing in the Jordan River, and he sees an image of the Holy Spirit represented as a dove. And he hears his father's voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. According to the Bible, this family of love predated and created the world. And this is the good news, that the Son of God has come to invite us into that loving union of three. Two, the world. The world is shaped by two representatives. The Bible begins with the story of Adam, who is a representative of humanity. In the beginning, he turned from God and plunged the world into death and curse. This is the life we now have, the life of selfishness and death. However, we see from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is known as the second Adam. Where Adam and all of us failed, the Son of God took charge. He lived the life that we should live, and on the cross, he died the death that we should die. On Easter Sunday, he rose again to a new life. This life is ours. We are one with him. So three is God. He's a loving union of three. Two, the world. The world is shaped by two representatives. And one, just the third. I'm counting backwards with my fingers. Just ignore that. And one, uh, you. You are one with Adam. Be one with Jesus. We are all part of the selfishness of Adam. And we all feel the curse of living in this broken world. But Jesus offers us new life. If we trust in Jesus, we become one with him. We can give him our selfishness and sin. And he deals with it in his death on the cross. And in return, he gives us himself forever. Connected to him, we enter the family of God. And together we can know his father as our father. His spirit as our spirit and his future as our future. You see, Jesus will come again to raise up this world just as he was raised up to eternal life and peace. And on that day, God will judge the world, confirming his no to Adam and his yes to Jesus. So that's life according to Jesus in 3.2.1. What's our response? Right now, Jesus offers you life, hope and forgiveness, and love in the eternal family of God. Call out to him. Now, this is a representation of the good news of Jesus. This is what Paul, 
the other apostles and the early church desperately wanted to spread to people, not just in Jerusalem, but to the, all the other nations as well. It was salvation is not just for Israel. It's for people who are not Jewish as well. They can now become part of the family of God. So let's see uh, what the text has to say about the gospel. The first point from what Siena beautifully read is the gospel will advance. The gospel will advance. So even though Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, even though he is suffering for the gospel message, nothing, nothing can stop it from advancing. In fact, verses 12 to 14, just because of time, I'm going to reference it rather than actually read out the scripture. Uh, verses 12 to 14 tell us that because, because of Paul's incarceration, the whole prison has had the opportunity to encounter the gospel, including the guards. And because of Paul's incarceration, other Christians are being more bold in proclaiming the gospel themselves and doing so without fear. Uh, we learn from this text as well, verse uh, six, uh, 15 through to 18, so if you follow along with this, we learn that the gospel advances, not just when Paul is in prison, but even when it's being preached out of impure motives. So if you've got this most powerful thing in history, the news of the gospel, it kind of shines a spotlight on you if you're sharing it. Now, some people would share the gospel because they want the spotlight to go on Christ. Others were sharing it out of selfish ambition. They wanted the spotlight to go on themselves. But Paul is still happy. He's still able to rejoice because the content of the gospel is still being proclaimed. So even though the devil is trying to sabotage the gospel, you can see it, Paul has been anointed to preach the gospel to all the Gentiles and all the nations. You can hear the devil kind of thinking, I know what, I'm going to imprison him. Let's see how your gospel spreads now. So even though the devil is trying to sabotage the gospel, whether through Paul's imprisonment or corrupting it with people's ambition, notice how big God is. Nothing can stop the advance of the gospel. It's like God is saying to evil, is this the best you can do? Evil's worst is like a human's breath trying to put out a fire. The more blowing, the more the fire roars into life. The more the gospel is attacked, the more it roars into life. Uh, historians agree that the early church spread far and wide precisely because it was persecuted. This isn't just a one-off thing. In China in the last century, Christianity, the gospel, spread like wildfire as soon as it started being persecuted. So in 1949, the Chinese communist armies uh, won the victory and they expelled all missionaries from China. There were 3.8 million Christians in China at that point. Decades and decades later, they allowed missionaries to come back in. And missionaries were thinking, ah, I, I wonder how small it is. And do you know how many Christians there are in China today? 97.2 million Christians. 
It's like God is saying to the Chinese communist armies, is that the best you can do? Uh, an addendum to Paul's imprisonment, which he would not have been aware of. Not only did his gospel advance in the prison, not only did his gospel advance because uh, brothers were becoming more confident in sharing it. Think through which letters are now in the New Testament, which has been read by billions of people. Think through which ones he wrote precisely because he was in prison. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now notice the significant themes of each of these letters. Ephesians, one of its significant themes is unity in Christ through the gospel. Billions of people now know that. Philippians, one of its significant themes is the pleasure and purpose of the gospel. Colossians, the gospel of what Christ has achieved. Philemon, forgiveness and the gospel. See how Paul's imprisonment, like he could never have imagined just how much God would use the devil's worst by incarcerating him just to uh, blow life into the wildfire of the gospel. Not only advance the gospel in the jail, advance the gospel across all future generations and nations. So the gospel is good news. The gospel will advance. The third and final point is Christ will be honored. So Paul confidently declares the second half of that text. He says he's going to rejoice because the gospel will advance. He also says, I'm going to rejoice because Christ will be honored. Think it this way. Uh, the devil thought, okay, here's God's son coming to earth. Uh, the devil is a fallen angel. They hate humans. One of the reasons they hate humans is the Bible is very specific that humans have a special place in God's heart. Angels are actually sent to serve humans. In Hebrews, it says that we will judge angels at some point. We'll let them know how well they have done. Uh, is there nothing more symbolic than a snake that says, don't step on me? And that's how the devil comes to Adam and Eve. It's like, you may be higher than me, but don't you dare step on me. And the devil has hated not only God and the glory he gets, but humanity. And so he motivates humanity not only to listen to Christ, to follow him a little bit, but when he says, I am God, we put him on the cross. Completely shameful way to die. He's being mocked, he's being spat upon. Uh, where is your God now? If you're so powerful, why don't you come down? Incredibly shameful. And he must have kind of rubbed his hands together as Christ was put in the ground and that stone was rolled across. Three days later, when Christ rose from the grave, oh boy, did he get some honor. Is that the best you can do? You can imagine him saying, the gospel just exploded again. So the worst moment in human history putting Jesus on the cross, God in his size, his power, his love for humanity made that the very most defining moment in human history. And so Paul wants the Philippians to know whatever you're going through on account of the gospel, Christ will be honored. Nothing can stop him from being honored. You'll read that in verses 19 through to 20. Six. 
Uh, if you're following along online, you can also read verses 27 to 30. Uh, in verses 27 to 30, we see not only that Paul is encouraging people, the gospel will advance, uh, Christ will be honored. He's then saying to them, make your lives worthy of the gospel. So it's true that the gospel can be persecuted through outside forces. God always uses that. He doesn't waste it. What's really unhelpful, what's really disappointing is when we as Christians sabotage the gospel, the unity from within. The Apostle Paul in verses 27 to 30 talks about a life worthy of the gospel. He says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's in verse 27. So each one of us is one in Christ. Each one of us has been given God's Holy Spirit. Each one of us in God's eyes is a saint, as we read in verse 1 of this chapter. Now I'm going to share with you a joke by Emo Phillips, which was voted... Uh, in 2005, and it, the best religious joke ever. It probably still is. And it's funny because it's true. I'm not going to do his voice. Uh, Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. Uh, what franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> uh, it's funny because as Christians, we are more known to the world for our differences than our unity in Christ. In fact, we Christians tend to identify ourselves based on our very differences with one another rather than our unity in Christ. Now try this out. If you want to grow tomatoes this summer, just put it on Facebook, go to a gardening webpage forum. I want to grow tomatoes this summer, any advice? And just see how much encouragement you get, how much friendly advice, how everyone's kind of rooting for you. Oh, sorry, tomatoes. Does that now make sense? <laughs> there we go. Uh, see how much encouragement you get. Don't try this at home. Go on to Facebook. Say, it's a Christian's duty to pray for the president. Now, that's entirely biblical. Just put that on Facebook and see the vomit that you get from every other Christian. Like, we, we just do a terrible job 
of being united in Christ, being united in the gospel. It was happening in Philippi. Some people were saying they followed someone else or someone else. Paul's saying, no, you're all one in Christ. And through the church in Philippi to us here in Wheaton, he's saying, be one with Christ. In the midst of suffering, Paul says the gospel will advance. In the midst of suffering, Paul says Christ will be honored. Now, in Paul's time, Christians could have been imprisoned, beaten, whipped, stoned, beheaded. That was how Paul died, crucified, or fed to the lions. In other areas of the world where you want to share the gospel, the Antioch movement, we're a church planting movement, a missionary movement. We have 300 Christians in Indonesia at the very moment. In other areas of the world, Christians can be jailed, tortured, or killed. However, as 21st century Christians in America, the persecution we're more likely to get is disdain, rejection, and ridicule. Uh, We might also get called bigoted, or intolerance if we put the Bible ahead uh, instead of the seismic social change in attitudes to marriage and sexuality. But God is not thwarted by any of those things. I want to share with you one final story before I give the application and invite the band to come back up. I went to seminary and I had a Czechoslovakian professor at seminary. He had fallen in love with the gospel through his parents. Uh, Czechoslovakia was a communist state. It's now called the Czech Republic. And as a child, he was very much aware that without the gospel, his friends in his class, it wasn't going to look good for them. He wanted them to know the love of God and invite them into that love relationship. Knowing that their eternity was extinct, during the lunchtime, he handed out a few gospel tracts. No one actually really wanted them. It's like, what's this? Uh, No, thank you. He handed out I think two or three, Uh, his teacher found out what he had done. So when they convened for the last lesson of the day, his teacher called him up, uh, said, Pablo, you've been handing these out. This is nonsense. Ripped them up and forbade him from handing any out and forbade the entire class. You must not look at these. You must not read these. Uh, tempted by the forbidden fruit, soon as uh, school was out, every single one of his classmates asked for a gospel tract. (laughs) Pablo's father in heaven proved so much stronger than that vindictive teacher. Now, as we think about applying the message, if the band could come back up, I really don't want to sing solo. Are we doing a final song? Yes, please. Uh, A couple of applications. One, God might be encouraging you that if you're sharing the gospel, when persecution happens, whether it's through disdain, ridicule, whatever that may look like, God is huge. And he's not going to waste a drop of your suffering. He's not going to waste a drop of your loneliness. He's not going to waste a drop of your embarrassment. He's not going to waste a drop of your rejection. He's going to use it all to advance the gospel. Sometimes the very thing that we think is going to invalidate our ability to share the gospel, God uses the most. Second thing, the other application we might look at is how can we be more unified as Christians? Uh, In the 12 steps, if you work through the 12 steps, there's an element where one of the steps you do a fearless moral inventory of yourselves. 
and it looks at the ways you haven't helped uh, the situations in your life, and you also look to see if you have any resentments. As Christians, as people united in Christ and united in the gospel, spend some time this week with God and ask him to show you the ways in which you've harbored resentments in the local church. Ask him to show you the ways you've caused division in the local church. And agree with God. Repent. And the beauty of repentance is revival always, always follows repentance, whether it's individual or together as a church. All right, I'm going to uh, pray now for us. Uh, as we meet God face to face, we will look back with 2020 vision and the times when we thought God was powerless and puny. We will know that He could have conquered absolutely anything. Nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing is going to stop him from sharing the good news of his love with others. Let's bow our heads as I lead us in prayer. Thank you, God, that you are a good, good father. Thank you that nothing can stop you advancing your gospel. Thank you that we get to partner with you in gospel ministry. Thank you, Christ, that you'll be honored in our lives and in our deaths. Thank you that when we seek you, you, we will find you, and you will give us all we need. In Jesus' name, amen.